I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. But it's, it's notable that 80% of the overshoots over the target at that point is due to energy and tradable goods. No, interest rates should have been raised uh, a long time ago, and uh, the Bank of England has been too slow. Um, and now inflation is hitting double digits. This is the Debunking Economics Podcast with Steve Keen and Phil Dobby. Well, we're working through a list of economists who have influenced Steve Keen and Steve thinks that you should know about, telling you each week a bit of their life story and the theories that have added to our understanding of the way that the economy really works. This week, someone who has influenced all sides of economics, for better or for worse, the man behind the Phillips curve that relates inflation to unemployment, sort of. Uh, We'll look at Bill Phillips this week on the Debunking Economics podcast. We are working our way through five economists that Steve thinks that you should know about. Mm. Uh, we've already, if you've missed them already, uh, go back over the last couple of weeks to find out more about Irving Fisher. Uh, and then last week we did Richard Goodwin. Today we're looking at Bill Phillips. Uh, rightly or wrongly, he's got quite a lot to answer for, hasn't he? Because you think of Phillips, you think of the Phillips curve, and you think of uh, central banks using this as the, the basis for you know raising or lowering interest rates. It's almost always, well, let's just look and see what the Phillips curve tells. Us. Mm. Uh, but um, we'll look at you know whether he's been used in the right way or not, and how he, he uh, what the Phillips curve is, and how he got there. But mm. be- before that, I mean, he was an interesting guy, wasn't he? He was a, basically the son of a, uh, a, a New Zealand farmer. His mum was a school teacher. We were in New Zealand in the early 1900s. I'm sort of guessing, and I might be stereotyping New Zealand a little bit, but I'm sort of guessing in the early 1900s, the education system in New Zealand perhaps left a bit to be desired. I imagine so. He did most of his education on his own rather than being taught. Given it, given it you know, in the 1990s, it was still... Yeah. I mean, at the same time, let's actually be... <laughs> let's let's, let's apologise to New Zealanders instantly on that front because at that time, New Zealand was the first country in the world to bring in universal suffrage. Yeah. Okay, women could vote. vote. The very yes. first country in the world to do it. Yeah. Uh, and they also developed an extremely sophisticated voting system they still use, which uh, it's not it's not quite the Hare Clark system. It's something else, but they have proportional representation yeah. in both the upper house and the lower house, varying levels of each. But uh, so politically and socially, it was a very progressive country. Yeah. And I imagine the education system was the same. But whether you get people who get educated at a level that Bill Phillips was capable of absorbing, that's that's the real dilemma. Well, look, now having upset the the, the Kiwis uh, in our audience, let, let's upset the Australian side. That's a good I, idea. Because I've always thought that I've always thought that New Zealand is a far more progressive country in, in many ways than I'm, Australia. You know, if anybody with the honorary New Zealand citizenship, I'll renounce my Australian <laughs> to get it. <laughs> All right. So Bill Phillips, there he was, uh, and he was he was a well, he was basically an engineer in, in his mind. Well, so, right from the, right from day one. I mm. mean, like he came out of the womb, and he's probably we're trying to work out what circuits together as he came out. Mm. Um, so he was somebody who was inspired by electronics. Um, and, and tinkering. Again, this is a common theme. It's the same thing with, with Irving Fisher, the interest in building mechanical objects. And uh, the, we, we know about Fisher, uh, Phillips because he built a hydraulic 
uh, machine to calculate dynamic cycles in the same way that Fisher built one to calculate equilibrium. Right, mm. and he was he was a prisoner of war. Uh, he was taken by the Japanese he, in, he, in the he, war. Even, even even stranger, he started. I mean, he he first went off on a, I think it was on a on a Japanese uh, ship, and it was the year the day he boarded the ship was the day before Japan declared war on China, before the first, before the Second World War. So he got caught up in that, and he ended up being captured. I think in Singapore as well, and became a prisoner of war for three years. And he built a radio. He in was the, remarkable. In the, I mean, in the dead of night with anyone knowing. If you imagine a more risky place to do this, please write to us and let us know what it is. Because as a prisoner in a Japanese prisoner of war camp in Second World War in the Pacific, he broke into the commandant's office and stole components to build a radio. Mm. Okay? That Amazing. Is, that yeah. is daring... Uh, incredible courage and guile as well to get away with it. They didn't realise the components had been stolen. He then built a radio which he tuned to not one but three radio stations. He then miniaturised the damn thing. So it finally, this is back in the days of valves, okay? This predates transistors. He somehow made a radio that fitted inside a coffee cup. Mm. and used that to give the um, the prisoners information about the war rather than the propaganda they were getting from the Japanese. And, the, and the, actually the day that he first did it, he heard about the bombing of Hiroshima. Yeah. So he knew the war was going to end, and that meant the mood in the camp was dramatically different. Okay. And also, not only did he build a radio, he managed to steal piece elements for an induction heating system. Yeah, he made a kettle, basically. He made a kettle, and yeah. he gave 2,000 prisoners of war each night got a hot cup of tea, which wasn't on the Japanese menu. Yeah, yeah. So that, if that's, if that's all you knew about Phillips. He's a great human being. Yeah, absolutely. And he built this hydraulic model, basically. Of, of, he actually of built an analog computing model as well. So he right. built an analog model of a... And analog computing is coming back in these days because of neural networks. So he was, in some ways, an originator of this area. But he built an analog circuitry system, and then he built a hydraulic system. And there are two of them in existence still, one in the Central Bank of New Zealand and the other, I think, in the London School of Economics. So, uh, again, a chinkerer and a builder of manic mechanical and electronic models of the economy. So it seems obvious today, but he's known for one of his early mm. observations that of how wages change depending on the, the unemployment rate. Mm. So that when unemployment was high, well, wages could be steady or, or maybe they'd fall, but uh, they'd rise when uh, unemployment was, was low. low. Uh, and that was the basis for the Phillips curve. But the thing is, that, again, putting this in context, the guy, first of all, I mean, he was self-trained as an, as an engineer. Not only we've mentioned two other things he invented, he also tried to turn a bus into a boat to escape the island. What the what New Zealand? He was imprisoned on an island. Oh, the island he was imprisoned. The, 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 the prisoner of war camp was an island. Okay, yeah. so therefore you could wander freely around the island because it was all military enclosed. And he found an old bus, and surreptitiously he was trying to turn it into a boat to escape <laughs> the island. This guy was incredibly inventive. But anyway, uh, he he was so aware of the uh, the dramatic advances in electronic mathematics. This reminds me, by the way, there was yeah. a uh, there was a, sh a TV show called Dripping Yarns, which was the oh, Monty yeah. Python crowd. Do you remember that? And I there do. Was, there was a Escape from Starlog 13, and there was a guy there who was trying to build uh, an, an aircraft to escape, and but he was building it out of matchsticks. <laughs> and uh, is, okay, yeah, yeah. Ripping and then at the, very, the, the, the very end of it, it said, um, you know, how well it was all progressing, and it said, you know, he was just getting his last few matchsticks, and then whatever the name of the character was, uh, the biggest blow to his uh, uh, his his plans 
all of a sudden became aware to him the war ended and so he it was actually the only person never to while while he was making this model out of matchsticks everyone else was escaping so (laughs) through obvious ways like suddenly someone would come to have a look at his his uh his his aircraft and a door would open and it would take him into a tunnel and they'd escape so he was actually the only person never to escape from philip survived because of hiroshima Mm. because the japanese were making plans to kill everybody in the plant and then when hiroshima hit the decision was made, we'd better not, if we kill everybody here, we're going to get killed, we're Ourselves. going to lose. Okay? Yeah, yeah. So that actually saved his life. And he then goes across to England and, and well, within a very short time gets an economics degree and a PhD mm. and a professorship. So an incredibly gifted and bringing the mathematics of engineering to economics. And what he, so he built a circuit diagram. So this is in 54 and 55 and 56, he's publishing papers on a circuit diagrammatic approach to economics. And as part of that circuit, he had a point where increase in employment levels would cause a rise in factor prices. He didn't just have labour there. He had also you know, cost of machinery, cost of energy and so on. And he simply hand drew a little diagram with a you know, level of economic activity on the horizontal axis, rate of change of prices on the vertical, and he drew like a, a hyper-asymptotic function. And then he decided he'd better go and check and see if he could find that in the data. So uh, in one weekend in 1956, I think it was, he pulled together a whole range of data series, uh, from mainly from trade unions, who kept records of how many of their members had jobs and didn't, going back to 1857. And he then fitted the data from 1857 to 1946, I think it was. And and he, because he was working, like he had, a, if you think in terms of years, you've got about 80 80 years of data points, but he's using a hand-operated calculator, mm. you know, literally. The sweet's working here. I can. Yeah, it's a very okay. squeaky calculator. Okay, okay. So you turn the handle and do the calculations. So he reduced those 80 years to seven ranges in terms of the level of employment and equally seven ranges in terms of the rate of change of money wages. And what he fitted was this very um, uh, asymptotic curve. Uh, like like a one over one minus x squared type curve, where you get a as you get x gets closer to one, then you get infinity coming out of it. So mm. you get this asymptotic relationship, and that's what he did as the Phillips curve. And it was distinctly again. This comes back to what we were talking about Goodman last week. It had to be nonlinear. So you see, when in the in the opening to the paper which I recommend people read because obviously most people who quote Phillips have never read Phillips, read the paper. Uh, the relationship between unemployment and money wages in the United, United Kingdom is uh, 1860 to 1940. So that's roughly the title. And what he said was there are three factors that determine the rate of change of factor prices, and he focused mainly upon wages. He said the level of unemployment, and that's all you'll see in most Phillips curve stuff these days, mm. and they make it linear. Okay? The level of unemployment, the rate of change of unemployment, okay? and a rate, basically a wage-price spiral coming out of, you thought, of inflate, imported inflation. Now, those are three elements that people think isn't included in the Phillips curve. It's in the bloody article. Mm. I can say bloody on this. Yeah, you can. Yeah, that's good. I think that's yeah. Okay, okay. Uh, So it's it's there, and and he's been denigrated ever since. But they took a the neoclassicals have taken a a stylized parroted version of this relationship. But isn't isn't it a bit limiting just to look at wages as being 
the cause of inflation. I mean, he does. He did talk about imported costs as well, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, so, and that's uh, which is what we're facing energy now, costs coming in, and you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we, we we do have those three factors. But like at the time you're doing it, you're literally working with a handheld calculator, hand operated calculator, and then forget about electric power. This is turn the handle to get the calculations done. Um, People were using log tables back on those days to do their mathematics. So you, and, and when you have, a th- if you have a three-dimensional system, if you think about what he's talking about, he's got the level of employment, the rate of change of employment, and these uh, cost pressures coming in. Uh, I think it was von Neumann who said, with two parameters I can fit a function, with three parameters I can make the function move, and with four parameters I can make it into an elephant. Okay. So the, the the larger the space you're looking at, the easier it is to fit an arbitrary function to it. Mm. So he had to limit it to just those two. Right. So the more complicated they make it, the the, the more factors you throw in, the more the and chance if you, that you can destroy the a, model. Basically, if you want to fit a, like a really in, in, incredibly complicated model to economic data, you need a few thousand years of economic data, which we haven't got. Yeah. Okay. So it, it's just it, like physics. One reason physicists have got involved in economics because the finance sector generates lots of numbers and they can throw their their data systems at the numbers. Uh, but when you look at economic data, it's 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 incredibly paucity of data. We have even now with it, it's great to have monthly data on unemployment and the rate of change of prices. That's trivial number of samples if you want to fit a really complicated model to it. So you've got to, with the data we're working with, you have to have simple systems. So he talked about the rate of change of Unemployment. So it's that yeah. rate of change that's that's important, isn't it? Because yeah. That's... I mean, if you have like if if you have a if the unemployment rate is such that you have a tendency neither to increase nor decrease wages, which like when I do my modelling with I'm building my model of Minsky, I've got a Phillips curve in there, mm. and for simplicity alone, not for belief, I use a linear one just because it's easier to do the mathematical analysis of it. But if in a real model, I'd definitely make it nonlinear. Um, but if you, like, what I normally said is that the employment rate that will cause no change in wages is sixty percent. So okay, so that's that's my equilibrium value, but. The rate of change can be positive or negative around that point. So when I bring in a more complicated model with a nonlinear model where I also have not just the level of unemployment but the rate of change of unemployment, if you've got... You're saying you're 60%, by the way. You're not saying an unemployment rate of 60%. You're no, saying I'm saying an employment, employment rate. So 60% of the population is employed. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's my yeah. equilibrium yeah. point. Which but is it, probably pretty close to where it's pretty, we are. Pretty, pretty realistic. Yeah. But if you then have unemployment falling at that point, you're going to have rising wages. Yeah. Unemployment... Uh, rising at a point, you'll have falling wages. Right. So that gives you a much more complex phase. And space. then if the speed of that change increases, yeah. then people are going to, if, if they see more and more people getting jobs so more So in, in other words, you've got a phase space out of the Phillips expression, not a bloody line. Okay? Mm. And therefore, the, all the dynamics people are saying that that contradicts the Phillips curve. It contradicts your inability to read English. Yeah. Okay, because you'll find that in Phillips's article back in 1957. Yeah, so... And it's and this is where human nature comes into all of this, doesn't it? And this is where it's always difficult, isn't it, in economics? Because you're, you're actually trying to do is develop equations to the way human beings behave. And no, then this is this. this sorry. <laughs> we, well, we'll finish, let me finish my point first yeah. of all. If if you've got a, a slow change in employment, yeah, then you're not going to push for a, 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 an increase in wages. If there are slightly fewer jobs around this mm. year than there were last year, you're not going to be able to go to your boss and say, mm. "Look, I, you know, there's, you know." Look at look at what's happening to uh, unemployment, and the mm. boss is going to go well. Virtually nothing over the last year. Yeah. Forget yeah. it. Get back to work. Mm. You're not going to get a pay increase. But if yeah. you get a big change, then your bargaining position gets better. 
So it's the, the hence the the difference in the speed of the change. That's also is yeah, which is what. But that that is driven by human behaviour, the ability for you to be able to negotiate. But it's also built by us aggregating everything and and just like the amount of information we actually get to process is trivial compared to the amount of information that's in the system. So you you simply know the unemployment rate. You don't know the unemployment of bakers in Berridge. Right. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. we we tend to be. We aggregate, and therefore simple rules can give you this complex behavior. And that's what comes out of the, the Minsky model I've built and so on. So uh, neoclassicals end up to hang on to this obsession with equilibrium. They end up imagining we're all Nostradamus or Jesus and you predict the future or, Mah- or you know, Muhammad. So, uh, so we, we, we have this trivialization of behavior by neoclassicals to assume we've all got this infinite processing capability. The reality we've got limited processing capability and therefore we behave in an aggregate way. And so simple aggregate models can actually give you a very reasonable approximation to the behavior of capitalism. And yet, you know, we are seeing sectoral shifts in employment, aren't we? So, and that could change. Yeah, and, and that's, and that's in, in the real world, you don't have just employment, you have different levels of employment and different industries going at different rates. So it, it tends to be the real world is far more complicated than our image of it, right. but we behave on the basis of our image. But you're saying it, it can average out? Well, it, yeah. I mean, but it, it, but it, it, it is shifting it, over time, though. It distorts everything. So, yeah. And Phillips is aware of all this stuff. His writing is incredibly rich, and he actually writes very well. I find Phillips much easier to read than Goodwin, for example. Because we're switching from manufacturing to, uh, to service industries for you. Yeah. As an obvious example over the last few decades. Yeah, yeah. Um, so and that's that's only in the West because it's going the opposite direction in the East. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But so, okay, but in in the West we're getting and we're getting a shortage of people in in service industries right yeah, now. So yeah. that's pushing up wages in service industries, whereas manufacturing might be a might be a different kettle of fish. Yeah. So, uh, but Phillips has got all these elements in his mental model, and he was trying to get economists to use the system dynamics frameworks of engineering. Mm. Now, what am I trying to do? I'm trying to get economists to use the system dynamics frameworks of engineering. So Phillips, in that sense, was the initial pioneer of system dynamics. And in fact, when you look at uh, like Jay Forrester as the person who invented system dynamics in 1958, uh, when he was given a a, a consulting job for a manufacturing firm to try to explain why the firm was seeing such cycles in its various manufacturing stages. And he worked out the cycles where all you do the internal dynamics of the factory itself, how fast products were approved, um, repair rates and so on and so forth, gave you the cycles. And he then worked out, you would actually do this as like a flowchart. Now, the first flowchart models of economics were done by Phillips four years earlier. So Phillips, in that sense, was the pioneer of system dynamics. Okay, when we come back, let's look at why central banks have picked on Phillips and used him, perhaps incorrectly, and, and also what you do with the Phillips curve. You're going yeah. to make, make use of it. We'll look at that in just a second on the Debunking Economics podcast. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. 
Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. This is the Debunking Economics Podcast with Steve Keen and Phil Dobby. Well, it is the Debunking Economics Podcast with Steve Keen. I'm Phil Dobby. I'm also here. And uh, we are looking at Bill Phillips uh, today, uh, the man behind the Phillips curve. Uh, and uh, we've heard, you know, about his interesting life from a, a, the son of a, a Kiwi farmer, uh, his life in a prison camp in Japan. Uh, and, you know, obviously a brilliant engineer, brilliant mathematician. He came up with the Phillips mm. curve, which has been taken on board by central banks the world over. Mm. Uh, because they see it as a as a tool uh, in helping to determine what level they should be setting interest rates at, because they're looking at it as the as the gauge to to inflation. So, yeah. he, he, I mean, it, he he did talk about inflation. But oh, it, it, was, it was it was an explanation for the rate of change of money wages initially, right. but also money wages feed into inflation. So, yeah, but they're uh, not the only feed into inflation. No, uh, you know, energy. I mean, the, the two fundamental elements, if you want to look at what's going to cause inflation away from what firms actually do in terms of markups and so on, then it's your external inputs and workers aren't produced in factories and neither is energy. Mm. Okay, So <clears throat> those two factors tend to be things which they're not extraneous to capitalism, they're essential to it, <clears throat> but they're not produced by a factory. Okay, they're non-produced means of production. So the cost of those can be independent of the cost of the overall manufacturing system. And they, that's where you get your complex dynamics coming from them being an essential part of producing your factory input, even though they're not produced in factories themselves. Yeah, but, but increasingly, stuff isn't made in factories, is it? That's the <clears> other <throat> factor. You know, we've got this, we, we talked about this sectoral shift. But anyway, mm. uh, how have so, so central banks have <coughs> taken him on board. Mm. And well, they, 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 if you, let's go back a bit in terms of when Phillips wrote, because he wrote in 57, 58, yep. and that was back in the days when we were all Keynesians now. Okay, So it was before the neoclassical resurgence. But what it gave, and, and Phillips actually made the mistake of stating it this way in his paper, it looked like it was a menu for politicians. Okay. What inflation rate do you want? What unemployment rate do you want? Pick so a combination. It's a, it, a stabilisation policy. No, yeah, it looked like a menu. So you yeah. actually said it at one stage, if you want stable factor prices, in other words, so wages remain constant, then you need this level of unemployment. If you want constant consumer prices, then you want this level of unemployment, which was higher. Mm. And so it looked like a menu. You could, And when you, the intriguing thing is when you look at the... Uh, the 57 paper, which I recommend people, for God's sake, read the damn thing, okay? It's there. You can actually take a look at it on the web. Find, just find a PDF. What's it called? Uh, it's called The Relationship Between uh, Unemployment and Money Wages in the United Kingdom, Years X, XX to YY. Right. Okay. So, but when you- Catchy title, though. Huh? Catchy title. Catchy title, yeah. yeah. It runs off the, rolls off the tongue, <laughs> as you can tell. Okay. But what he, what he drew as a curve for the data from- 1860 to 1940, roughly. And then he applied it to data from 45 to 57 when he published it. And the data, the 57 to, uh, sorry, so 46 to 57 data, fitted that curve like a glove. Right. So he, 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 tried, he used the model to predict it, he put used in the, the real data and found his predictions were close. much by okay. reality. Now that policy, oh, wow. 
don't have to read the general theory anymore. I can just pick up the numbers that I want. Mm. So it got interpreted as a menu, and mm. he actually used language precisely like a menu. You know, what, what combination do you want? Here's, here's what they are. And then that became seen as the essence of Keynesianism. And then the inflation that occurred in the 60s and 70s saw Keynesianism broken down. So the neoclassicals used that as a way to undermine the Keynesian approach to economics. Right. But you can see why they do that, because because it is a... Because central banks say we're we're all about stabilizing prices. Mm. Here's a, a predictive model that's been shown to to work. Yeah. Uh, so here are the levers that we need to pull well, if more we want to stabilize more, the economy. More the treasuries that took it up that way. If you go back to the 50s and 60s, the, uh, everybody spoke about the treasury. Nobody spoke about the central bank. And the reason the central banks became central to the whole thing is that uh, it, it, obviously both treasuries and central banks get staffed by neoclassical economists. Uh, but the central bank got uh, – and originally it was politicians who set the interest rate um, – as a as a target as well as the uh, deficit, yeah. And then the thing is, changing the deficit, uh, you know, obsessives into economic policy, and theory might get angry about that, but it doesn't really directly hit the individual. Uh, but put up interest rates will make put up interest rates because of the rate of inflation, and you hit people in their hip pocket. So politicians were very happy to be told by central banks, ah, oh, that's a technical thing that we should take care of. Oh, please take it off our plate mm. so that a politician doesn't have to announce the increase in interest rates, which yeah, yeah. destroys you. So yeah, they were yeah. very happy to hand it politically over so, to central banks. So would Phillips be happy to see that, they, I mean, aside from you know the aspect of whoever is applying it, but the idea that, uh, yes, if, you, if you've got inflation rising then you can fix it with interest rates no, using Phillips your actually, model. Phillips actually said that if he knew how his paper was going to be used, he would never have written it. Right. Okay. It was like he, his Oppenheimer moment, was it? Yeah. I've created a, I've created a monster. Yeah, and, and, and a monster which was misused. Of course, this is the other thing most monsters are. Uh, but so he said the way it was used is completely destroyed what he was trying to do. Because what he was trying to say is we live in a dynamic, unstable system. If you want to stabilize, you've got to know the overall dynamics. This is only one tiny part of that whole process. So you can't choose a point on the Phillips curve. Okay? Because the risk, the dynamic system will feed back, and given that point, you'll move on to another location. You will not have this static menu. But that's was interpreted as a static menu. And he literally said, "If I'd known this is how it's going to be used, I would never have done the work." Right, but and yet he 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 had gone through that approach of saying, "Well, okay, this is what's happened in the past. Let's predict what's going to happen now." And and, see, and, and it's matched. Yeah, but it'd be, so what, what was the stop? He was just getting a function, like the the, the three arguments in there, mm. only one of which you could actually look at because there was so little data. Right. So he said, taking it down, it looks like this is the relationship between the level of economic activity and the rate of change of money wages, and therefore that feeds and gives you inflation. But it was part of an overall process. So that that cycle would have had booms and slumps and unemployment. And, and and booms and slumps. All the trade cycles, the and trade business cycle cycles that there. we've been talking about. And that was sort of abstracted. Well, it, was, it was seen as a constant throughout the trade cycle, uh, and the deviations either side of the curve. He explained by increasing or decreasing levels of unemployment and by wars. 
Mm. And like, for example, there's one gigantic point where there's a huge gap between the function and the actual outcome. And the reason is that after the First World War or during the First World War, there was a large amount of inflation. So trade unions were very powerful at the time in the UK, negotiated a cost of living adjustment. And then when they England went back onto the gold standard, prices collapsed and wages also collapsed. And so workers no longer accepted the they, they broke the um, the wage the uh, uh, inflation wage trade-off they'd agreed, negotiated because wages fell so much they wouldn't do it again. Um, so that's one major deviation. So so he's explaining the deviations either side from the factors he couldn't include in the equation given the paucity of data and the paucity of his calculation right. mechanisms. So he'd be happy to see that uh, that you're using it in a model like your Minsky model because you're just taking it as one factor yeah. of which there are many at play. And I then get cycles. I don't get a stable point. You, you, mm. you can't force the system to remain at that point unless you do a lot of stabilisation of the remainder of the economy. So what he was talking about, if you want to stabilise it, you've got to do a whole range of things. You can't just choose a two points. Yeah, yeah. Because anything you do, there's consequences. So if you yeah. so if you were to look at the the Phillips curve and say, oh, the inflation's getting a bit out of control, we'd better push up interest rates. Mm. And that's you, you assume that that's going to take things back to where they were further down the curve. That's wrong because pushing up interest rates are going to we'll change the remaining dynamics of the system and feedback and change where you are. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and who knows what that is unless yeah. you've got a. He com- was a he was trying to build a, a framework to- of doing it, which is this whole system dynamics approach. Right. And so, if in, in that sense, the genuine ancestors or descendants of Phillips are people working in system dynamics. The bastard sons are the neoclassicals. Yeah. So Which, he, he, so unusual. So he was he was so was he a Keynesian or was he a very genuinely Keynesian mm. and, and 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 but what he was trying to do was take Keynesian from the static and again an equilibrium based analysis that you got out of aggregate supply and aggregate demand models, et cetera, et cetera, into genuine dynamics. And he was incredibly disappointed that that isn't what happened. And you got instead this obsession with equilibrium and his own bloody equation became part of the obsession with equilibrium. So Phillips curve, so-called, and it's almost always a straight line function, is a part of all neoclassical models. He'd be horrified by that. Right. So when, uh, you know, we've heard central bankers even questioning whether the Phillips curve is broken... No. Uh, it's because they it haven't because because they're taking it in isolation. Totally in isolation. They're getting using linear. For what he said had to be nonlinear. And if you're going to do an applied sense, you have to have a nonlinear function. It's got three rates of change to it, not just one. It's a phase space. It's not a single bloody curve or single, let alone a single line. But that's how they treat it in all their DSGE models. Yeah. So right now you can't apply it because we are. We have got a war which has pushed up energy, yeah, which has yeah. pushed up prices. And that's so, eminently part of Phillips's own thinking. It's not a contradiction. It's part of his original logic. Yeah. And we are getting that shift. So it's interesting that we've, we've got this increase in, in salaries going on right now. If you look at it in the UK, for the year to September, the uh, private sector wages grew by 6.8%. Public sector wages grew by 2%. So there's this sectoral difference, which you can't, you know, which mm. you've got to factor in any case, haven't yeah. you? So, uh, you know, that's just another, I guess, you know, it, it averages out. But, uh, but that's an interesting situation there because the public sector is trying to, so the government is trying to hold down inflation uh, by controlling what it can control, which and is they're the doing people it that work for it. Cutting the wages of people they were giving claps to in the 2020 period. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know. 
but the alternative is well because i'm how is how how can it be used in public policy in any way the phillips curve or well, it's is part of dangerous? a systemic analysis of a social of, of capitalism oh that's far too complicated for I know. the government or central yeah, banks you, to get behind okay yeah you, <laughs> <laughs> so like Talking in, system in that, dynamics steve in, in, in that case you've got to end up with wage price controls you've got to end up with negotiations etc cetera, etc cetera. Yeah. the sort of stuff that phillips is quite happy to contemplate and you can't put in a, in a classical model right Okay, very good. Shumpta. Joseph Shumpta. Now, there's an interesting character. Okay. We're going to talk about him next week. Mm -hmm. Good as always, Steve. Uh, We'll talk to you then. Okay. The Debunking Economics Podcast. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So, for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at uh1.com. If you've enjoyed listening to Debunking Economics, uh, even if you haven't, you might also enjoy the Y Curve. Each week, Roger Hearing and I talk to a guest about a topic that is very much in the news that week. It's lively, it's fun, it's informative. What more could you want? So search the Y Curve in your favourite podcast app or go to ycurve.com to listen.